Hello, welcome to the podcast of the National Leprechaun Museum of Ireland. This is the podcast where the storytellers are going to record us telling stories, talking about stories, and answering some of the strange questions you have sent to us. My name is Emily Collins. I'm Mark Gearn. I'm Paddy Holly. And we are all we're all storytellers in the National Leprechaun Museum. We all tell stories. Yeah, I, I think the podcast is probably going to be a fair reflection of what we do on our tours. Yeah. What we do depends on who's there, who's listening to us. Obviously, we can't see who's listening, so we're just going to make massive assumptions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> massive assumptions. And just tell stories to each other. Yeah, and that's always ourselves. fun. But yeah, we'll just try to cover as much as we can and choose topics and, and I suppose answer any questions people. Yeah, so I have a box of questions. If anyone does have any questions for us, you can uh, send them to us via Twitter, via Instagram, via Carrier Pigeon, hashtag uh, Ask a Storyteller, or hashtag Leprechaun Museum Podcast. Or Come back in time, in your time machine, with mm. your question, to this exact moment in the National Leprechaun Museum, right now. I think I see a TARDIS. <laughs> Oh, let's not get Hoovians involved. <laughs> but we've been telling stories in the museum for coming up on nine years. In March, 10th of March, it's going to be nine years we've been doing it. Ooh. And we've had a lot of storytellers come in. I remember last year we were working out based on the stories we tell for mm. touring. In fact, we only closed one day a year. We told, last year we went over a million stories. Wow. No, it's stories told to a million people. Okay. Which wow. is phenomenal. And that doesn't include the fact that we have previously had a podcast, yeah. which... Was not as good as this one's gonna be. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is uh, this is the Mark Two or Mark Two. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one Mark. Indeed, and we're very glad of that fact. <laughs> but it, I mean, it is all about stories, and it's all about storytelling. And what we've chosen in the museum is we've chosen. Well, it's a broad area for mm. us. It's like it's hundreds and hundreds of years. It's it's thousands yeah. of stories. It's still quite a narrow field, though, because of course people tell stories all over the world. They've been telling them since people have been talking even before that because there's so many ways to tell stories people do it through movement people do it through through song you know through dance actually in um, poland i saw a storyteller who told entirely through nonsense he spoke babble the whole time and everyone could follow even though the people in the audience spoke polish english italian greek we could all follow this nonsense language he was speaking. It was great. To me, though, that I would imagine is when you come back from a trip back home to Kerry Park, the <laughs> gets a lot thicker. It does. Even if I just pick up the phone and talk to my father, my father is, uh, his accent tends to infect everyone around him. So people go down to Kerry, they go down to Listowel or Tralee, and they come back and say, People down there, Paddy, they don't all sound like you. <laughs> Some of them actually sound like that. You know, they didn't grow up on an island. It's because of my father, really. My father grew up in North Kerry in the 1930s and 40s, in the middle of nowhere, and his accent tends to infect people. <laughs> he, he's very kind of set in his ways. He still refers to uh, CDs as tapes. Yeah. And, and it, what's he called? Cars? He still <laughs> calls ca- cars motor cars to distinguish them <laughs> from, from the, the horse, horse and car. <laughs> but so it's the same for me. Like, I'm from Tala all my life and I don't have a Tala accent because my father wouldn't allow it. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, it's so I got stuck sounding like this when I would love a proper thick accent. I suppose we all think we don't have an accent and yeah, then we then have we visitors from every corner of the world coming in to, oh, that's a lovely accent. They don't obviously say that to me, <laughs> but to some of you who sound pleasant, they do. Potty, your dad is a sort of storyteller as well, isn't he? He's a storyteller. Now, he mostly does it through song. Yeah, and that's another so, way of telling stories. Uh, he's, he's 
not a trained singer he is a fine singer though and uh, the songs he tells are always ones that tell stories sometimes the stories are inappropriate <laughs> sometimes the stories are uh, have heroes and villains in them or they're about the foundation of the republic and that kind of thing and they're a bit political uh, sometimes they're just downright funny see the, the whole thing about inappropriate I don't believe that any story is inappropriate I think the audience may be inappropriate for the story. So I'm just making hand signals to Mark to talk to his microphone. Sorry, Poddy's, Poddy's so much prettier. than this. It's a lovely microphone, though. <laughs> I do. Looking at Poddy. Maybe I'll move it around a little yeah. bit and get into swirl, it. Swirl. Oh, it swirls oh, around. Swivel. 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 It's, it's, okay, it's doing yeah. what it does. Yeah, it does the thing. Um, but yeah, I, suppose, I mean, we, we're a product of where we grow up, and that's what influences when it comes to telling our stories. I don't think anyone's ever set out to be storytellers. Actually, Emily, I'd probably assume you are the only person I've ever met who did. Um, I didn't actually. I wanted to be an opera singer for ages. I mean, it is uh, when you're cleaning and wandering around a museum by yourself. I can Singing I can hear where that is. Basement. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I I sort of fell into storytelling. My dad describes himself as a teller of other people's stories. He's a he's a lawyer, and I say I come from a long line of storytellers because I come from a long line of people who are good at spinning the truth in an interesting way <laughs> yeah that, that, that's, a, that's a very fair way of looking at it but when you said there about the person telling stories through nonsense I have to ask you where was that going on oh that was in that was in Poland and in Warsaw at the International Storytelling Festival of Warsaw the 13th one and I was over there um, through an organisation called FEST Federation for European Storytellers and they had a programme where a group of young storytellers from various different parts of Europe got to go and meet other international storytellers, exchange stories and generally chat. So it's definitely something that's kind of coming back yeah. in and being appreciated more. I always said about Ireland that we produce our best of everything, you know, our best songs, our best mm-hmm. movies, our best stories when we haven't got anything. So I think recessions are generally quite good for the culture of any people because when you can't afford to... Mm-hmm go out and splash out that's when we're stuck huddled together <laughs> sharing food and sharing a drink and yeah. telling stories and we must have had an awful lot of recessions because every tree every stone has a story yeah. behind it where i sometimes tell the, the visitors we're a little bit like the japanese the japanese shinto religion where every waterfall every tree has a spirit and a story behind it like uh, north kerry valley longford looks out across the Shannon and Scattery Island is in the middle of it and it's just a mundane island in the middle of a river but it's home to the Scahook, the battler it's enormous I thought no, the name for Scahook is also the trainer of Coohollan okay I was getting confused because she's meant to be off the coast of Scotland and that's the wrong side of the country but it's the same thing battler <laughs> means the same thing alright uh, he was a big demon thing in the in the uh, on Scattery Island there in the middle uh, of the Shannon. So when you grow up looking out at an island that people tell you there was some kind of cross between a serpent, a dragon, and a demon living on, <laughs> and this was well, Saint Senin came out of uh, Scattery Island, and the Saint Michael the Archangel during the middle of the battle picked Senin up by the armpits. <laughs> And moved him to a more strategic position. So he cheated. He cheated, in other words, right. yes. Yeah. I love when you say this stuff, Paddy, because I always just stop talking, which is weird for me, <laughs> and listen to you, because it always sounds like you were there. It does it's, a bit. Yeah, it's I think like, it's the accent. I think it's the Kerry it's, accent it's, it's has just, that yeah. mystical quality. Yeah, but also when you say the armpits, I love the, I love the term oxters. Oh, yeah, Picking yeah. someone up by the oxters oh, is brilliant. Yeah. 
But I suppose similar to you there, I grew up with a view of the Hellfire Club up on Montpellier Hill. That was my view from my bedroom window. And I think even though I came into storytelling in a weird way, because I'd worked in advertising, I'd worked in print, my background was fine art. But um, I think I was saying earlier on, like, I think everyone's a storyteller. Everyone has a story to tell. It may not, they may not all be big, epic sagas, but it's when that opportunity arises to tell a story. But we're all influenced. I mean, no one lives in isolation. Yeah, no man you know what I mean? This, you, no man is not, or woman, or non-binary non uh, non identifying individuals either. So, yeah, I, I think everyone is a storyteller. It's just the opportunity. And I do feel very lucky to have worked with a lot of great storytellers. Now, of course, we see them, mm -hmm. like yourself, Emily, going off to Warsaw. We had <laughs> Nathan and Shannon over in uh, the Oireachtas telling stories in Irish like it's it's a great time to be a storyteller it's something yeah. I for one like I'm I'm really proud to be you know uh, do I miss all the money of the pre-downturn times <laughs> yes I do <laughs> <laughs> but my soul is so much richer now so we should probably get on to telling some stories and I was looking at stories about storytelling just getting very inception-y yeah. Very yeah. meta, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. And there actually are, there are loads of them, but I think the most famous one is probably Scheherazade, which isn't an Irish story. It's uh, more commonly known as the Arabian Nights. Yeah. Uh, but that's a thousand and one story, so we, we could have a thousand and one nights here. Everyone just camps in. That would be a very difficult podcast to download. I was thinking, be. like, rather than the Darkland, we have, like, Everyone just sleeps over for a thousand and one nights. Three years, just camp out in the basement. I mean, in all the years we've talked about and we've watched movies and we recently <laughs> had a Christmas party in the giant's room and telling that to visitors who were in, like, they, they're so jealous because, of course, a room with giant furniture. It was it was an incredible night, but we've never managed a sleepover in the museum. I think we should do a sleepover in the museum. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to because I like comfort. Um, <laughs> and, well, Get up I, on the giant furniture. I was going to say something about how I sleep, but I don't think that's going <laughs> to... I don't think that'll make the cut, so we'll just leave that there. But yeah, I mean, I, I think to avoid looking at other cultures and other hmm. stories from other lands, other countries, other cultures, I think it'd be an awful waste not to look at other things because you've learned so much more about your own by seeing the similarities and the differences. Because really, there's not a huge difference between the stories you can always find similarities and you just it just brings a commonality and connects us with, with, with other people um, some guy who made westerns said there's only two types of stories man goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town and you can basically boil down most stories to that and then they're actually the same story just different sides i start running racing through my head there looking for her kind of <laughs> stuff not to go yeah. in there but you can fit i mean you can fit anything yeah. down into it you know what i mean it's just but the one thing that's common amongst all the stories is the is the, the people element of it I mean, okay, the people may be a an enchanted frog, but there's always a, a human element to yeah. any stories. And at the end of the day, that's why it's so easy to connect with stories. We're all people. The way the way, the very way we think is in narrative mm. and language. We structure our day when we get up in the morning in the beginning, the middle, and the end. It's a little bit more like what they say about language that you can't think of something that you would be unable to describe with language. And really, without storytelling, without narrative, you, you'd you get nowhere because your life would would have no structure to it. I suppose when, when I hear that, like I kind of have to wonder about like kind of non-neurotypical individuals and stuff like that. And obviously not having any experience that and being the way I am, I, I just wonder how many different ways are there kind of like getting up in the morning and thinking about your day. But I don't know enough to comment about that. But in, in terms of stories then, I mean, we've got a lot of questions that have been sent in to us. Will yeah. we take some questions or right, uh, feel like telling can I tell a story? A, can I tell the story of Shahrazad first? Yeah, of course. Right. <laughs> All right, so 
it's f- the framing narrative of the 1001 Arabian Nights, which is where we get Aladdin and Alibaba and all those. But there was once a king, a king who ruled over a great empire. The wind could run from dawn to dusk and not cover all of it. And he considered himself lucky and happy. His wife was a pearl among women. And then he found out that she was cheating on him. And he reacted, as many kings do, when he feels his ego has been damaged with violence and he slaughtered her and her lover but he was still the king which meant he still had to have a wife but he decided he would never again give a woman the opportunity to betray him so every day he would take a new virgin as his wife and the morning after the wedding he would behead her and this happened again and again and there were a thousand and one dead brides when at last Scheherazade the daughter of his grand vizier decided that she would be the one to put a stop to it so she volunteered to be the latest bride Her father and her sister begged her not to, but she was determined, for she had a plan, a plan which she shared with her sister. And when the king took her to his bedchamber after the wedding, Shisarahad's sister called and said, Oh, please, will you not spend one last evening with me? Will you not tell me a story? And Shisarahad began to tell a tale. And she spun a tale of heroes and villains. But when the dawn was rising, she stopped just before the end. And the king, he'd been watching all night, and he'd never seen anything quite like this, how how with just one voice and one person a whole world could be woven. And he said Shahrazad had to finish the tale, she had to, but oh, she was too tired to finish it now. You'd have to wait till tomorrow. And so the king went off about his day and decided he would give her one more day to live. She would finish the story in the evening. And all the day when he was going through his official business, he was just thinking about how did the story end? And when he came back that evening, Shahrazad, she did finish her story. But her little sister, who was still there, asked, just one more story, please? I think is something every parent who's ever had a small child will be familiar with. Yep. Just one more chapter. And so Shahrazad began another tale, even greater than the first. And the king sat enraptured as she told it. But again, just as the sun was dawning, she stopped before the end. And this continued on the third night, and the fourth, and the fifth. And every evening Shahrazad would finish her last tale and start a new one, and always stop just before the end. And the king couldn't, he couldn't let the story go unfinished. And by the time A Thousand and One Nights had ended, Scheherazade said, That's my last story. I have no more tales to tell. I I guess this means tomorrow you're going to have me beheaded. But in her Thousand and One Nights and her Thousand and One Tales, the king had fallen in love with Scheherazade, and whatever dark spell had been upon him that had caused him to kill a hundred and one brides was gone. And the two of them lived happily ever after, with Scheherazade ruling over the kingdom. See, there's a nice ending to a story. Why are all of ours miserable? <laughs> well, hang, it, it's a nice ending to a story, but there's still a thousand and one dead women. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, 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 <laughs> yeah. that's quite a body count. Yeah. <laughs> but my God, when did she sleep? I suppose she slept during the day when he was off doing oh, his... That's the great thing about student. nobility. You, yeah, you know, yeah, that's... You just sit around all day or sleep during the day. I, well, again, it's student life for me. <laughs> that's what it was like. You mean you didn't get up at one o'clock to watch Home and Away? No, no. (laughs) Though thank you for throwing in a reference that was relevant when I was in college. (laughs) We were all watching Home and Away and watching Neighbours back then. And Kylie and Jason were still on Ramsey Street. Wow. Uh, I don't know what any of this is about. I'm very old is what we're saying here. (laughs) Australian soap operas. Kylie Minogue used to be on an Australian soap opera. And there was a time when Jason Donovan was not Joseph uh, with an amazing technical drink, though he was also a soap actor. Isla Fisher. There were, we, we could go on and on <laughs> just talking about Australian daytime you, you TV. Need a separate Prisoner TV. Cell Block H, there's a whole episode in that as well. I loved B so much. Right, I'm taking the question box and going to rattle it. 
Ooh. It's an actual box, so that's what I like. It's a beautiful box. It, it is, is a box of magic. So is... these are questions from storytellers in the museum and from some of our visitors. Yeah. So let's... And some from online as well. Yeah, we've yeah. got one or two from online, so let's throw out a question at random. Uh, Mark, would you like to take the first question? Yeah, I'll take a question there, no problem. I'm actually going to put the question to the two of you, so one of you can take it. I, this is what, I, I'm nervous about this because I get a piece of paper and then I open it. Uh, are leprechauns social creatures? That's actually a nice one. So who wants to take that? I would say it depends on the leprechaun. It does depend on the leprechaun. Like the, some of the earlier leprechaun stories descri- give them quite a sophisticated civilization. They live on the island of Faelin. They live together in a kingdom. All of their homes and buildings are leprechaun sized. Faelin is quite small. They have a king known as the Grand himself <laughs> and, the, and the queen queen bebo queen of all the leprechauns who is said to be three fists high yeah well i mean there there is uh there is debate over the size, size of a leprechaun yeah. but but i suppose when when you said there it depends on the leprechaun with regards yeah. to being social yeah. creatures i think what people don't realize is they stereotype to the point of it becoming a joke yeah. but they were a people and a diverse yeah. people like yeah. the idea of female leprechauns blows some visitors minds you know yeah. but uh, i suppose they, they were so diverse that there's a lot of stories though about solitary leprechauns and sort of folklorists like Yeats yeah. and things like to divide the fairy folk into uh, trooping fairies and solitary fairies. Yeah, they do and get classified like yeah, that. said but the leprechauns were sort of solitary and a bit grumpy. I thought that was a bit lazy though because they obviously didn't go back far enough and look into it. I mean... Actually, on the Story Archaeology podcast they talk about the origin of leprechauns and that Yeats basically asked another folklorist and then we got this whole idea of leprechauns as these solitary shoemakers but he didn't go back to the stories he just asked another academic and that's where we that's got whole that's idea. my issue and you can see the difference in in the stories mm-hmm. you know where they're coming from like an academic st- standpoint which is quite narrow mm-hmm. to i suppose when you start looking at you know the shanaki the storytellers who mm-hmm. travel around were more fluid in their style of storytelling but but on leprechauns were saying they were solitary they were social they were Solitary as well in the 1920s for Yeats. Maybe it doesn't quite mean what we think it means as leprechauns were always alone. Solitary might mean in the case that they they didn't associate with other types of fairies that often or they didn't like particularly much. Like the Tuhaday Donnan stories, the very early Tuhaday Donnan, they're always interacting with the humans. Yeah. Whereas leprechauns, they don't particularly like to interact with us. That's because any time they do interact with us, we try to kidnap them and hold them for ransom. Yeah, I mean, that's not a great way to view it, but it's accurate. Uh, <laughs> all the stories do... I mean, it's never gone well. Yeah. You'd wonder why they, they chose to live in, you know, away from humankind and kind of keeping to themselves. Okay, I, I like that I like okay. that question, okay. though. I'm going to draw another question. I heard that the leader of the leprechaun is called the Grand himself. Is that grand in the English or the Irish sense? And you'd actually just called the king of the leprechauns the Grand himself. Yes, the, the Grand himself. It's a great title. Ah, the Grand himself. It's ve- it's a very Irish title. Yeah. <laughs> it is a very, yeah, no, it is. It wouldn't have been written as that, I imagine. It wouldn't have been written in English, so you lose stuff in translation. But Grand, where do you... S- I mean, I, th- I think it's probably a case that the, the, the king thinks of himself as the grand himself. Yeah. But the subjects think of him, you know, the grand himself. They're, they're humoring yeah. him more than anything. But yeah. I do think when you look at the behavior of some of the characters, and particularly looking at, um, like, Lubdog, 
you know, yeah. in, in the story of King Fergus, he did have an overinflated little opinion bit, of himself. A little bit. And there <laughs> are certain leaders who would have a similar opinion of themselves. Yeah, so it and doesn't... they may end up falling into a giant bowl of porridge. And let's not... Well, let's get political for a while. <laughs> <laughs> really? Are we going to go there? Let's get poli- Lob- uh, I'm not going to name any names, but Lobdon was always... Yeah, that's literally a name. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean any... Human names that are in the news at the moment. I'm not going to say any of their names. But when I start describing what Lobdon was like, then I think people will be able to infer themselves who I'm talking about. Okay, let's go. Lobdon was always saying he was the best at things. That he did the best things. He made the best things. He built the biggest walls. On, in his castle. Wow, wow. Uh, and the, his his poet, his bard, you could say, maybe his poet or, or his bard might be the equivalent of a journalist. I, I know that when, when Arthur uh, disagreed yeah. with him, uh, he yeah. did actually get sent away. He yeah. did get sent away when Arthur disagreed. He said, got sent to the mainland and Arthur went to immediately to King Fergus Mocklady. And they're not a big people, the leprechaun, of course. They're you know big, what yeah, I mean? They, they are quite so they would have been small people. Small they would have like small hands. S- small hands. hands. And <laughs> yeah. wow, we're not even being. No, we're, I mean, we're, not. Is, we're not. Okay, let's, let's get Okay, let's next, move, next question, please. Moving swiftly on. What do you like to do? There's no, no way you could trump that last question. <laughs> okay, this is a good one. What do leprechauns spend their money on? Rent uh, would be my... <laughs> would be my well, I mean, what do they spend their money on? Actually, I do, have, uh, I do have thoughts on that question because I think the leprechaun, while they came from Faelin and were not yeah. technically Irish, I think they're a great representation of the Irish people because they ended up here. Yes. You know what I mean? They came across here. They made a, pl- a home for themselves, a community. They integrated quite well with, with yeah. the fairy folk. Mm. Uh, while they may not have kind of integrated with humans much, they, they integrated well with fairy folk. But this idea of them working and being shoemakers, and again, I'm sure it was broader than just that, but they saved with their money, the pot of gold. Yeah. And I believe they would have been sending a home. Probably. You know what I mean? I think they're a great representation of the Irish people because they're immigrants. So I think what they would have done was had enough to live on and send back what they could. Because you see, of course, in the story of the death of King Fergus, that it's the army that come across. Yes. You know what I mean? And then they settle here. But I, I, I do believe that's what they were doing. Like They had an opportunity, they saved up and they, they sent it home. And people sometimes say to me on tours, they say, why won't the leprechaun share his gold with me? Well, Isn't why? he being awfully mean, awfully greedy? Well, if someone came up to you and said, give me some of your money, how would you react? <laughs> I love that they're getting to avoid paying tax, though. I mean, that's, that is, I mean, you'd swear they were Irish politicians uh, or Bono. The way they go on. Um, I we weren't naming names. Oh, no, I'm naming names. So, I mean, what, what's he going to do? Email us in. <laughs> Bono, if you're listening and would like to send us an email. Yeah, take off your high heels, come in, we'll give you a job. Um, but, <laughs> but they don't have a pot of gold because they are hoarding their money. You know, the question is, like, what do they because They're not hoarding their money. For starters, they're incredibly long-lived. Mm. And as anyone who's ever visited their nana will tell you, <laughs> the longer you live, the more useless stuff you tend to accumulate. <laughs> this is true. And gold is actually quite useless. Apart from the, the sort of value we have put upon it, it's yeah. a soft metal, so you can't really use it for tools. It's for decoration. It's yeah. pretty. 
It's pretty, but... Yeah. We've always kept pretty things around, you know. Party, how long have you been in the museum now? <laughs> <laughs> That's a compliment, yeah, you're still shaking your head. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I suppose they, they, they don't, they're not hoarding. I they're mean, they don't hoarding, trust no. the banks. Uh, they're sending money home to their mothers like yeah. any any good uh, any good, good you know Irish. child does. Um, but what do they? I mean, if I was a leprechaun, what I mean, what does my money go on? Uh, Sustaining food, myself, food. Clothing. They're fairly self sufficient. They're yeah. good. They're great one, I believe, for making use of found objects. Yeah. An awful lot of stuff is things they've come across. Mm. You know, what I mean, there is talk about like the the red hat that they traditionally wore doesn't originally belong to them. But of course, we see the red hat appearing in cultures all over the world yeah. and different yeah. smaller people. So, I mean, if you want to get into a really good business, start making little red hats. <laughs> they're also the two-headed animal. They're more in touch with nature. Yeah. So they don't, in a sense, they don't have as much useless things to buy as we do. Yeah. They don't have a lot of plastic goods that they want to get their hands on. Yeah. They don't need to buy the latest phone. They don't need. Uh, they they don't. There isn't a Gucci or a Prada equivalent for leprechauns that they spend all their money on because they to them when they wear clothes they wear good woolens they wear the stuff that they get off of, out of plants and yeah. that kind of thing. It's money's not a thing for them. They work with barter systems and stuff like that. Yeah. Can I? I think uh, they're not as wasteful as us. I'm taking out another question. All right. Topic, stylistic question around storytelling. Bard versus Shanakal. Shanaki, even. I can't read Irish. Would there be many differences in their technique? Um, so, there would. Bard versus Shanaki. There'd be big differences. For starters, you have to remember that the Bard or the Phila uh, works for the king. And more than just works, he's not just somebody you keep around. He is, he is, uh, he is, he is like the Tornishta. Tornishta in Irish means an, an, uh, ancillary. He's one of the, the king's right hand. Uh, He's uh, an advisor, an ambassador. So he has stuff. parameters he has to work within, would he you is, imagine? He, for starters, he has to sing the praises of the king. And you'll see a lot with the older stories, with, with the Torn and the stories, that they're obsessed with the, the higher ups. They're obsessed with the, the warrior chieftains, the generals, mm. the kings, the queens. The, the fur- celebrity gossip. Yeah. The, fo- the further you go back, the more obvious it is that the bard, the filla, is telling the stories to members of a royal house, a royal family, and he is echoing their concerns. Uh, whereas the Shanaki later, the Shanaki is an itinerant storyteller. His main... Uh, MO isn't to sing the praises or to spread propaganda or to talk only about the nobility. His main MO is to be entertaining so that people will feed and house him. So he, you will, as you move closer and closer to modern times, the uh, characters in the story become more ordinary people. So if you take, for example, stories like Tygo Cain and the Corpse, mm-hmm. the central character in Tygo Cain and the Corpse is just some lad who has been messing around the place. How was it that you described him? She was saying that there may be the playboy of the Western world, but Tyg was the fuckboy of the Midlands. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, that's, yeah. But I think anyone can put themselves into those positions, so, positions so the stories become more relatable for a broader audience. Uh, in terms of storytellers in the museum, 
I'm not saying we're one or the other or uh, either. Yeah, but where would you where would you think there that are, there are many storytellers in the museum that are closer to Bards, and there are many storytellers that are closer to Shanachies. And where would you where would you fall yourself on that spectrum, or feel you'd fall yourself? On? I I I dip my toes in in both rivers really. Uh, You're depend- playing both sides. Yeah, depending on uh, depending on the audience in front of me. The the obsession with the celebrity t- today and the obsession with the superhero. The modern world is obsessed with superheroes. Yeah. They're everywhere. Mm. And the strange thing about storytelling is superheroes, nothing could be more cliche. They're the oldest type of story out there. And the older Irish folklore is the same. It's obsessed with these celebrity characters with superhuman strength and superhuman ability. So if I have an audience in front of me, that I think are going to benefit more from this kind of bardic tradition, this kind of superhero tradition, then I'm go- that's the kind of story I'm going to tell. If I have perhaps a group, maybe the ICA, the Irish Country Women's Association, are visiting us on the day. Uh, <laughs> they've brought in their sandwiches because they... Uh, they no food allowed in the museum. No food allowed in the museum. <laughs> no exceptions. <laughs> so the, uh, the sandwiches have disappeared slash gone into the staff room. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the ICA have come in and they'd, they'd appreciate more the Shanachie story. Yeah. Because, because they're, they're not the, the kind of people who are rushing out to see the new Captain America. Now, I know I'm aware I'm painting everyone with the same brush. Maybe there is a member of the ICA <laughs> who likes the, mo- the Marvel movies. It's, I it's don't get him know. In. It's getting me in. <laughs> Probably the most famous... Um, well, member of the ICA? No, the, the most famous member of the ICA. The most famous bard in the bardic tradition is, is Eterna. Eterna, he was known colloquially as the extortionate. Ah. Uh, because... He would demand a very high price. And if the bard showed up, you had to give them hospitality and what they asked for. You had to give them the hospitality and what they asked for. And they'd satirise you. They'd satirise you, exactly right. If the king wasn't paying his bard, one of his tarnishta, if the king wasn't paying his bard, then the bard would, by all means, paint the king as a fool. You know, that was in their power. And so... the satires could be so scathing they would leave actual welts across the skin. Oh, I like that. Oh. I like that. So, Eterna is in Munster one time and he asks, he asks the king, can I have the eye out of your head? Eterna thinks that rather than give the eye out of uh, his head, the king of Munster will pay him a huge ransom so that he doesn't. But what the king of Munster does is plucks the eye out of his head. <laughs> So it's a bit excessive. So mm. this is that'll give you a sense of how powerful uh, Eterna was, how dangerous he was. But he was so powerful, so dangerous a celebrity that people started to, uh, political people started to figure him into their plots. It all comes to a head when the warriors of Ulster are looking across at Leinster and as they, they see, do. as they often do, and they see that it's rolling plains from shore to shore and they they think to themselves wouldn't it be nice if we could have all of that fertile fertile soil here rather than the clay up here in the north and Connor McNessa thinks that the best way to do it is to send a turner to the king to the king of Leinster to to Nace 
where Mesedra was ruling from at the time. Connor thinks that the King Mesedra in Nace in Kildare is he's a pretty brutal kind of a guy. So rather than put up with Eterna's nonsense, he will kill Eterna. And then Connor will have pretext to invade. Oh, you killed my bard, you killed my filla. I'm coming down to exact punishment, and when the war is over, I loan half of your country. That's it's a pretty it seems straightforward enough. Uh, and he's pretty got rid of Eterna. He's, he's, he's going around asking for people's eyes. Yeah, he's got rid of this dangerous bard. So Eterna goes down to Nace, goes down to Mesedra, and does a fine job. And Mesedra's very uh, happy with him, but then payday comes around and Macedra says oh I'm going to take this guy for everything he's worth he's clearly very wealthy and the king says to him what do you want and the turner says well I want a hundred and ten head of cattle I want my weight in gold and I want 40 women to come back with me to Ulster to look after me in my old age and uh, this is 110 head of cattle at this stage in our history is an extortionate price and never mind the human trafficking never mind i mean yeah yeah, yeah. cattle is their main obsession okay uh, <laughs> and, uh, never been to the plowing championships i mean it's really accurate still yeah that's true strangely mercedra says yes turn is flabbergasted he wasn't expecting this to happen and connor back in ulster is expecting uh, a turner to die yeah to die hopefully Eterna says the sends a starling back to Ulster to say, lads, uh, this political plot you're working on. Obviously, I don't want to die, <laughs> but it turns out that Mesedra is actually going to give me what I asked for. And I'm actually terrified that what they're going to do is I'll leave with the 110 cattle. I leave with the 40 women. But as soon as I'm outside Mesedra's house, outside the bonds of hospitality if when someone was in your house you were obliged to give them hospitality they were safe once i'm outside the house he'll come out with some men and kill me yeah which reasonable fear reasonable fear so eterna is making his way with his 110 cattle all of his new women and just about to hit the border when out emerges from the bushes both the armies of mesedra and must be big bushes they were, oh yeah, fairly yeah, big bushes. Sizable. No, our armies were just really, really <laughs> small. <laughs> Are they small or far away? Uh, <laughs> so they meet, they meet in, a, in a huge battle and it's going badly for both sides. It's one of those battles that are so brutal that nobody's really, really winning because everybody is dying. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Connor has retreated. Mesedra has retreated to an oak tree on the Liffey, where Clane is today, if you've ever heard of Clane on the Liffey. He's under this enormous oak tree because the oak tree was sacred, so he, nobody could kill him there. And Connor, figuring that he's losing the battle, sends for Conal Carnock to come down, Conal of the victories, and to lay everything to waste. Conal tracks Mesedra down to this oak tree where he's in hiding, this enormous oak tree. And Mesedra has lost one of his one of his hands Ooh. in the battle so it's all tied up mm. and they set to it they're having a sword fight Mesedra has only one hand and every so often Conal Carnock will cut the bandage so that your man's uh, handless arm falls down that's just uh, mean 
insults. But yeah. it's just mean, very, very mean. Insult to injury. And it taunts him and taunts him and taunts him until eventually uh, Colonel Carnock just one swoop of the blade takes off the head. Takes mm-hmm. ta- takes away the chariot, takes away uh, Mesedra's horses. And as he's as he's riding, uh, as he's riding, he meets Mesedra's wife, Boone. Colonel says to Boone, uh, you must come away with me now. She says, who has given you permission? Uh, she says, he said, your husband, the king. I, look, I have his chariots, I have his horses, clearly I have permission. And she said, well, my husband is a very generous man. He could have just given you the chariot. And then Conal whips out Mesedra's head. And he says, here is my token. And Boone is obliged to go away with Conal. I mean. But before they bury the head, before they bury the head, Conal scoops out the brains from the from the head and he makes it into a ball with clay. They used to make this very hard ball for the catapult. Clay and soil and dirt and people's brains. And they'd mash it all together. And who came up with that originally? Oh. That brains or the well, ask Paddy, he was there by the sounds <laughs> of it. <laughs> it's a very tough thing. And it's bouncing around the it's bouncing around Ulster for ages. <laughs> And one of the Connock spies, one of the Connock men, I can't think of it. Give me a name, Emily. Jim. Jim. Jim is... is, uh, is Good Irish in, name. In, Jim is investigating. Uh, Seamus is investigating the, the, the camp just before the tawn, before the cattle raid of Cooley. And he sees the two children are playing with the ball made out of, made out of brains and clay. And he says to himself... Wouldn't that be good for my catapult? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Imagine it would be. Uh, he takes it. He takes the the brain ball back with him, and during the cattle raid, I'm not going to do the whole cattle raid, <laughs> yeah. but during the cattle raid, at one stage, uh, the brain ball is fired. The brain ball is fired, and it lodges into the head of Connor McNassa. And Connor McNassa is very aware now that he has a uh, someone else's brain. Somebody else's brain in the form of a catapult ball stuck in his forehead. <laughs> that, 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 the man with two brains. That great movie. Yeah, the man with two brains. That is a good movie. And Emily doesn't know what to be thinking at the moment. Look, <laughs> Emily's there thinking. I wonder if Polly thinks we're going to have like a night of passion. And he's going to be beheaded after this. So he's doing a story that's going to keep him alive. And I'm nearly. I'm nearly at the end. Connor goes to the druid, his druids, and said, "Listen, obviously this could kill me. Yeah. <laughs> what am I could do?" And the druids, basically, you know, the druids were, as my mother would say, a few sandwiches short of a picnic. <laughs> they ate an awful lot of mushrooms. <laughs> the druids tell him, "Just don't get very excited. <laughs> Just don't get very excited." And everything is going all well and good until one day there is an eclipse of the sun. Huge storm breaks out. And not get not to get too religious at this point. You but, go for it. You may as well. <laughs> but, uh, Connor goes to his druid and says, "What's after happening?" And the druid says, "Far off in a distant land, the king of the world has been crucified." And Connor thinks this is, is not right. This is wrong. He goes into a rage. The brain ball goes, pop, and Connor dies. And then they have the thing of him ascending, and yeah, it's a. Yeah, it does get very religious at that point. Sorry, yeah. it's, it's, it might have been added on later. Yeah. Ah, yeah. You can always tack. You can always dress it up. You know. I know. I mean, they could have been talking about Odin if they said the king of the world was nailed to a tree. That's true. They could be talking about Odin. I mean, it's a, I mean, I just—it's all just so unnecessary. 
It's all <laughs> just so it's unnecessary. It's a very unnecessary story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. And, I mean, and what happened to the bard? Did he just go off with his hundred cattle and forty women and I, well, body weight I and think, gold? I think he died in the battle. Oh, okay. He was killed in the middle of it. Oh my God, Emily. I think Potty was the bard. <laughs> I think oh. that's. I think he blown his. My cover. name is Eterna. I, I was that baby. <laughs> <laughs> I am commonly referred to as the extortionist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, all make, it all suddenly it all makes sense. sense. This this is never going to get to air. Potty's going to do away with us before yeah. it does. Because I mean, you really see the value yeah. of the storyteller in that. You know, when you're talking about they could demand whatever they wanted. I mean, they were held in such high regard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Storytelling has changed so much since then and and while i think and some so of it is forms of storytelling now. Yeah. so many different forms but it's also much more accessible you know what i mean like you're looking at us yeah. here in the museum coming up on nine years telling stories you know open every day of the year i mean it's there's there's a hunger there for it i don't think it'll ever get to the stage where you can demand an eyeball well, I mean, we might having that on the back of the flyer, like for the museum, people come up and go, how much is it in? It's like, well, tell me you're standing and I'll decide on the price. You know, 110 head of cattle, 14 give, women. Give me just your left shoe. <laughs> <laughs> but that question was about the differences, but there was one very important similarity between the Shanachie and the Barrett, and that is that they were both telling stories because there was a danger that the stories would be lost. Mm. The bard was was so important to people because they had no written history. And if it wasn't for the bard keeping the stories alive, their histories, the stories would be dead. And if it wasn't for the Shanachie tradition in the 19th century and before it, mm. uh, when the Irish weren't allowed to go to, to higher learning, no. to school it was the oral tradition that, that as well I mean when you look uh, at the Protestant ascendancy which you know you can say as much as you like about it but they had no they had no real interest in keeping our folklore alive no and that's what the Shanachie did and then a couple of them did get a bit of an interest yes and they started to write it down yeah I mean yeah they, they did and they preserved but I, I think in the writing stuff down as well you lose an awful lot it's that ability to change what you do depending on the people in front of you well, it's, it's writing it down preserves it that you can then go back, read it, and take it from that source. Yeah. So it's you need both. Yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, I I'm very aware of the fact I have a particular view on how I tell stories and my storytelling, but you know, I'm I'm I, I love experiencing different storytellers and different different styles mm. of storytelling. Uh, are we going? Are there any more questions? Uh, oh, we've got more, but we might save them for the next episode. Ooh, and if okay. anyone listening has some questions, please do send them in to us. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to contact us in the museum. Rock up to the front of the museum if you want to. We're on Jervis Street in Dublin if you're ever around. I mean, if you're coming in on a tour, brilliant, but feel free to swing by with half a Mars bar and a question. <laughs> <laughs> or if you, uh, if you want to use the old Twitter, uh, where, what's our Twitter handle, Mark? Leprechaun.ie. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there we've got also our Instagram. Times. I mean, it's all on our website, but it's, I mean, it's not difficult to find the leprechaun museum on yeah. stuff you, we are the only one yeah and to be honest i don't like making it too easy for people because of that effort <laughs> there's no effort of going into trouble it's like yeah. many people turn up the front of the museum every day going i couldn't find you or people just see a street sign and come into us it's uh, i think tom has always said tom our esteemed leader has always said what's important is the showing up mm -hmm. you know what i mean so come and find us ask us questions and, and we'll answer them 
If you want to contact me, you can leave a stamped address envelope underneath a rock on Ben Hader yeah, at yeah. a full moon, yeah. uh, as long as it's a Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. You don't feel a desire to give out your, your mum's number now at any point? Contact your mother? Um, you know what I mean? And My she, mother she, isn't listening to this. No, I know. That's why I felt safe doing that. <laughs> if anyone has 101 herd of cattle going spare, I'll happily tell you a story for it. Yeah, yeah, you will indeed. I will do it, as I said, for half a Mars bar. Um, but I mean, what, Kirsten, what have we got coming up? Obviously, we're starting this off at the, the, the end of the year, like we're yeah. in the middle of our festivities and that, but the, the new year is coming up. New year, new and beginnings. New beginnings. We'd argue when the new year is for our calendar, but as you said earlier yeah, on, it, Emily, it's, it's, the, it, it's circular. There's no beginning or end. It just keeps going. Yeah, but when you said it earlier, it made me think of the guy in Happy Gilmore, which is a reference no one will get. Um, no, let's not worry about that but of course one of the big things for this time of year was divination people want to know what's in store and what's oh, coming yes. we can tell you we will always be here doing what we do you know there's some big changes coming for the museum there'll be more coming to that at a later point but but we'll be telling stories you yeah. know we want to do a little up. bit of uh, what's the chiromancy what, what's the one with the with the candle wax oh yeah you take a candle and you Drip it into a bowl of water. Into a bowl of water, yeah. And it's all, I mean, you'll always hear variations on it. It's yeah. like, you know, how do you cure a wart? A yeah. hundred people, you know, will tell you a whole different, different ways, ways to do it. But, but people are always asking questions. And we were talking about this recently, and it, we were looking at the fact there's all these ways for women to find out who it is they're going to marry. Traditionally, yes. you know, you put this under your pillow or you spit on something, you throw it over your left shoulder when the cock crows for the third time. You find but, it in a barn brack. In barn brack, of course, but I couldn't find a single reference to men trying to find out or divine who their, who their future partner or wife would be. Mm. And you I, usually I pulled out a map. Saw who owned the field next to yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's very. It's like in coming to America. He just spins a globe and chooses queens because he'll find his queen there. But it is strange. It's never been that obsession traditionally. Looking at like our stories, mm-hmm. of people find out. But I mean, people. It's it's a time where great uncertainty around the world. So, yeah. um, yeah. What like Emily for yourself? Any form of divination that you particularly like? Um, I like the thing about if a. Ladybird lands on you. Uh, the direction it flies off in is the direction you should follow for a good future. I think that's quite nice. Yeah, my my wife, who's also called Emily, hates ladybugs because oh. one bit her when she was a child, and she's she does not like them. She's she holds a what? grudge. I I know they're they're carnivorous and they eat like green fly, but I didn't know they could. She's I bitten. Yeah, she left with like a little kind of welty lump on she's her hand. She's a very weak skin. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, she's got very thick skin, and she's been with me for twenty six years. <laughs> I didn't know you could be bitten by a lady. You can't. But you obviously never were. So not yet. you know, uh, you've not been flavoured by that. But so if your landybird lays on you, if a ladybird lands on you and then flies off in some direction, that direction is where your good future lies. And would you would you follow that? It depends how late I am for work. <laughs> well let's remember on your very first day you were I was an hour and a half late <laughs> yes you were, <laughs> you were. but I think you'd just be distracted if there was a puppy anyway but oh, yeah. if your future holds puppies you're yeah. pretty happy yeah. what, what, what do you need for like a happy um, happiness in 2019 I need my dogs a cup of tea and a slice of cake Okay, cake automatically makes me want to ask you Potty what do, what do you oh, need yes. for cake, cake, cake. Uh, more cake <laughs> all of the cake I need uh a good book, snifter of brandy. I should point out at this stage that you're not in your 70s. <laughs> <laughs> just people like it, just... <laughs> good book, a snifter of brandy, and, uh, you know, the pool three times a week. 
Yeah, I don't. I've, I've, it's going to sound stupid. I have everything I want, everything I need. Oh, Nintendo wow. Switch was a nice addition. I will be honest with you. I'm <laughs> sleeping less, but my God, I love Pokemon now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, I mean, if people want to know how to kind of find out about their future and how to, I mean, you can ask us or you can just be happy with whatever comes your way. Yeah, so I guess that's goodbye from us. That's goodbye, goodbye. for me. Goodbye. Again, just ask us any questions Bye. and hopefully we will talk to you soon. Uh, yeah, talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.